Hello, greetings, thank you for your interest in spiritual things, and thanks for joining us. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ, where disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And today, let us continue to explore the Hebrews author message in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and we'll begin today in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of a righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So the Hebrews author, and we call him that because we don't know exactly who he is. It could be Paul, Barnabas, Apollos, or many other individuals. But this letter is called the Hebrew letter because the content indicates it's being addressed to Jewish Christians to encourage them to persevere in the faith. Just uh, the end of the exhortation, Hebrews 10, 19 through 39. And to do that, the Hebrew author has established in the first two chapters that Jesus appeared to the angels. In chapter 3 and into 4, that he is greater than Moses. The Christian hope is greater than that which is given to Israel. Then the main core of the letter is the demonstration of Jesus as a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the king and priest of Psalm 110, and back in Genesis, is able to inaugurate a new covenant in his blood and to provide full atonement. In the immediate context, since we're past Hebrews 10, is the idea of the Hall of Faith, that and the conclusions that are to be drawn from that in Hebrews 11 and 12. Then Hebrews 11, 1 and, and verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to, to please God, and that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, how uh, faith was demonstrated by all the great men of old uh, in the creation, Adam, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and so on and so forth. And yet that despite their greatness, they did not receive the promise that God has provided something better for Christians and that apart from them, the heroes of faith cannot be made perfect at the end of Hebrews 11. And because of this, Christians are to run the race set before them, uh, before this cloud of witnesses, laying aside weight and sin. In chapter 12 and verse 1, this race is to be run by setting our side on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, that he established this path, that he's the one who first ran it, he strengthens us to run it, Then that path is suffering to obtain exaltation as Jesus did. 
in verse 2. And that we must endure discipline that God establishes for the good of Christians in Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. That we're to strengthen what is weak through uh, exercising it and to strive for peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And now we can pick up with verse 15. In verses 15 through 17, the, the continuing concern, verses 12 through 17, in many ways, definitely uh, put together. We're to run the race. We are being disciplined, yes. And we're to strengthen what is weak, to strive for peace and holiness, so that no one will fall from grace, that no one will fail to obtain the grace of God. In Galatians 5 and verse 4, Paul had warned that if you accepted circumcision as a Gentile Christian, you would have... Um, well, not, not just to be circumcised, but to observe the law of Moses, you would have fallen from grace. You are severed from Christ. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 26 to 31, the Hebrew author has established the great danger of what happens if you uh, sin, having uh, already uh, come to know truth and be saved, and there's no repentance. It, 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 it's a very devastating uh, condemnation that comes. And so he says that there might be a root of bitterness that arises that would trouble people. Now, a root of bitterness is a poisonous plant. And metaphor, and so metaphorically, it refers to anybody who advocates or practices false things. We see this in Romans 16, 17, and 18, 2 Peter 2, 1, Revelation 2, 23, 23, and other places. Uh, when a root of bitterness is able to arise among God's people, others get defiled. That's an important thing. A lot of people just want to imagine, well, they can do their thing, we can do their our thing. But in Galatians 5.9, in terms of false teaching, and in 1 Corinthians 5.6, in terms of immoral living, Paul asserts that a little leaven leavens a whole lump. That if a little bit started, it just spreads. And so a poisonous, a root of bitterness is going to spread that bitterness uh, to others. And that's why we need to be on guard about such things. Well, uh, what are the how does somebody demonstrate this bitterness, this defilement? Um, then, and he goes right to uh, sexual deviant behavior and unholiness. Now, sexual deviant behavior here is the one that he focuses on. In 1 Corinthians 5, the congregation there was dealing with the issue of sexual morality. It's a very prevalent sin. It's one we see over and over in the New Testament. And it remains, unfortunately, a very prevalent sin, more common than we'd like to imagine. Uh, how many uh, people have taken and brought low by uh, feasting on pornography, on uh, participating in affairs and other forms of infidelity, how many marriages are ruined and divorce, and, and, and how many people have been traumatized by it, which is often we understand. We can completely understand what the Hebrew author is saying here and the danger here. If you're sexually immoral, you have failed to receive the grace of God. Sexually deep behavior uh, leads to that in Galatians 5, 19-21 and other passages. And unholy. Like Esau. It's not just unholiness, but specifically like Esau. That's a curious reference or metaphor. In Genesis 25, 29-34, Esau comes home and is famished and wants some of the stew Jacob has been cooking. And he uh, says he's going to die if he doesn't eat that stew. And so what does Jacob want for it but the birthright? Now this is of great value because Abraham had been given a promise of God that went to Isaac and should have gone to Esau. But it goes to Jacob because... Esau forsook it. And he wanted to get it back, but uh, he sought it with tears, but he could not. It had been given over to Jacob. He could have been the, the great household, head of the household, but he uh, gave it up for just a meal. 
And so our birthright is can be seen as salvation and stew us. And we've been given such a great thing, uh, the blood of Christ, uh, that has paid for our sins. And the stew is sin, this momentary fleeting pleasure that has eternal consequences. How many times have we proven willing to forsake the the great promise that God has given us because we find ourselves in distress in the here and now and there is an easy way out. And that's why we need to war- be careful. We need to remember Esau what Esau did lest we uh, stray by his same example. So the Hebrew author is going to provide, again, explanation. All right, so we are to strive for peace and holiness. We are to resist anyone who would trouble us. We are to avoid sin. Why? And so in verses 18 through 27, he does this compare contrast, and he begins this with where we haven't gone to as Christians, and that's to really Mount Sinai in verses 18 through 21. That you've come, not come to a mountain which could be touched. In Exodus 19, they, Israelites came to Sinai, and that is a real physical place that could be touched. That's not where Christians have come to. Uh, the voice of God came out, and, and it was so powerful. Uh, in Exodus 20, 18, 19, the people were afraid and not want to hear it anymore. Uh, Christians have not heard that voice in a fearful way. Uh, in fact, there's this command that if a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned. Uh, in Exodus 19, 13, we haven't had to worry about that kind of place or commandment. And Moses, Moses already seen a tremble, uh, the manifestation of God's presence in, in the burning bush in Exodus 3 and 4. But even he trembled in fear. And we have not seen a manifestation like that. We have not needed to tremble in fear. But instead, as he says, we've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. We see that in Isaiah 2, Zion. Zion is, is Jerusalem, the place where the temple is, where God has made his name to be known. And so it takes on the spiritual level of that pl- place where God is. In Galatians 4, 20-31, Paul will use an allegory. Uh, Sinai is Old Covenant, uh, Zion is New Covenant in the same way. And we have come to innumerable angels and festal gathering, assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the whose sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's kind of an interesting parallel. Well, in Genesis 4, Abel was murdered for no reason. He was innocent. But his innocent blood shed could not atone for others. And that's why the Hebrews author speaks of the sprinkled blood Back in the uh, temple days, in the tabernacle days, uh, the blood would be sprinkled on the altar, and that was a moment of atonement. Yes, the animal was slaughtered, but it was when the horns of the altar had the blood sprinkled on them, that's when the atonement took place. And so Jesus' blood provides that atonement and is superior to all that came before it. Now, there's a very important significance to the contrast. Israel came to a place of humiliation, fear, and terror, but we come to a place of exaltation, love, and glory. We are the inheritors of a better covenant with better promises and a brighter future. The Hebrews Christian, Hebrew Christians were tempted to go back to, to what was old. And, and the Hebrews author is trying to point out uh, how foolish that is in light of what we have learned about who God is and, and how close we can draw near to him in Christ. And so again, he continues to flow with his argument in verses 25 uh, through the end of the chapter. Uh, okay, so we can, we've can we come to God, we've come to Mount Zion, this is this wonderful thing, this beautiful thing, great thing. So there's this warning, though. Do not refuse him who is speaking. And so, there's this comparison made. In Deuteronomy 4.2, uh, the Israelites are not to add to or take away from anything that God had spoken to them. And we hear in the prophets constantly how the people turned away. 
and did not do what God said. And we know of the judgment that came of exile. And so if, if that message led to condemnation, what will happen to, to those who do not heed the better message? And that's kind of been this whole compare-contrasting the whole time. How much more than in the new than the old? Well, if that's true about the blessings, it's also true about consequences of disobedience. And then we get to the great shaking. Going back to he, he, Haggai chapter 2 and in verse 6. Major social political change uh, in reference there. And so we could say the Hebrews author is looking forward to the destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, you want to go back to all this, it's all going to be destroyed and leveled not very long from now. Well, there seems to be also more of an evocation that there's going to be uh, looking at the whole day of judgment, kind of like in Second Peter 3, the shaking of everything, that everything that's been shaken is going to be taken out. All that's going to remain is what? The kingdom. And that we are to be part of that unshakable kingdom. And that we're to work in that unshakable kingdom. And so we can come to the presence of God at Zion. We can, we are to hold firm and to hear him. So what are we going to supposed to do? The conclusion of all of this is to be grateful for that, receiving that kingdom. To be thankful that we've got that kingdom that cannot be shaken. And to, says here, Offer to God acceptable worship. Worship here is latreu, o latreia, the idea of spiritual service. So we're to offer service with reverence and awe because our God is consuming fire. It's interesting to note we see like in Isaiah chapter 6 or Ezekiel 1, 28, Matthew 17, 6, when Isaiah, Ezekiel, and the apostles are confronted with the presence of God, they fall on their faces. That's the reaction that men have when they're uh, confronted with the awesomeness and power of God's majesty. And that's only in a manifestation of God, uh, the glory of God. That's nowhere near you know, seeing God himself. We need to remember, and it's applied here, Deuteronomy 4.24, that God is a consuming fire. So we need to have that same attitude. We may not see God, but he remains a consuming fire. And there's this is a compelling metaphor, because a consuming fire is something we want to avoid, we want to stay away from. Uh, so with God, we've got that thing going on where we want to be close, but not too close, because God burns those who get close to him. We can see that in Scripture. We can see how Jeremiah got burned. We can see how Moses got burned. We can see how Jesus got burned, how the apostles got burned, how much suffering that they went through. Uh, yes, we can see that in that suffering, they obtained uh, a great peace of mind, we can see their benefits from that purification, but we're scared because we don't want to get burned. Because we're going to have to, we're going to get burned if we draw near to God. We need to have that burning uh, to get our sins and our difficulties destroyed, to get that purification as by fire to be holy. Going back to verse 14. And so that's the difficult decision that we're called upon to make, but that we must make at some point that we are going to draw near to God who is a consuming fire, that we offer him appropriate and acceptable service, that we may glorify him, and that we go through that purification to obtain that holiness without which we will not see him, and to thus be saved. So this is what we have seen in Hebrews chapter 12, in the end here, the last half of the chapter. Uh, the people of God need to be pure and holy, that we have entered into a better covenant, that we need to hear the Lord, the word of the Lord, and the world is going to be destroyed. The world as we know is going to be destroyed. And we need to give thanks for the kingdom that we received with appropriate reverence. And so we encourage all people to come to Mount Zion, to become a servant of the Lord Jesus, and to glorify God in that name, to pursue peace and holiness, 
and to obtain the great promise of which the Hebrews author has spoken. We hope that for you. If we can encourage you in any further way, if you'd like to you know, consider our cons uh, discussion of the first half of Hebrews 12, or other discussions to read some articles, or maybe to find out more about us, to come visit us, you can learn more about us at the Church of Christ at benesearchofchrist.org. We're also on social media. If you'd like to contact me personally at my website, you're able to do so at deverbovitae.com. That's www. D-E-V-E-R-B-O-V-I-T-A-E dot -E -E com. Again, thank you. Have a great day.